You know, I've only been threatened to be punched in the face once in my life. I've only had one person threaten to punch me in the face. And uh, if you know me really well, you might be surprised by that. You might think, surely it's been more than just one time, because you can really grate on our nerves, Alex. But it just happened one time, and it was when I was talking to somebody about Jesus. I was trying to share with them about who Jesus was, and who he is to me, and how he's impacted my life. And when you talk to somebody about Jesus, it's a step of faith, right? It's risky. In fact, I would suggest as we do this series on taking steps of faith, talking to somebody else, whether it's a friend or a family member or a coworker or a neighbor about Jesus and about what you believe about Jesus may be the biggest step of faith that you ever take. It's scary. It's risky. And it's something that a lot of us feel uncomfortable about. And so I want to talk about it tonight. So over the last few weeks, right, we've been talking about taking steps of faith. We've been talking about how when we understand that God is with us and for us, it gives us the confidence to act like there's really a God. A few years ago, Craig Rochelle, he coined the phrase the Christian atheist. When people say they're Christians, but then act like there's not a God. We say, yeah, I believe that, but then our lives look like everybody else's life who don't believe in God. When we take a step of faith, that's actually doing something that we wouldn't do if we didn't believe that there was a God. If there wasn't a God who's all-powerful and all-good, who's with us and for us, we would never do this. We would never risk a relationship by talking to someone. We would never risk getting punched by somebody by talking about Jesus. And it's unfortunate, but it's true. It is risky to talk about Jesus with people. And I think there's a lot of different reasons for that, right? There's a lot of presuppositions about what you're going to say and what it means when you start talking to somebody about Jesus. People immediately assume, oh, you're a Christian, and they have maybe some bad experiences that they've had with Christians or bad experiences that they've had with churches, and they immediately assume some things. And sometimes we go into the conversation assuming things as well. And then, of course, we live in an age where politicians uh, sometimes use Christian words to affirm what they already want to do. And so some people think, well, if you are a Christian, you immediately agree with this group or with that group, or you immediately hate this group or that group. And so a lot of people assume things because of that. We also live in an age of internet trolls, right? You know what an internet troll is? Somebody, no matter what you say, they just get super hostile. And, um, you know, you say something completely innocent on the internet and somebody's like, that's the worst movie ever made. You're literally like, hey, I'm watching, you know, Disney's Family. That's the worst movie ever made, you know, and then a fight breaks out over it. We just live in an age where people are really contentious. And many times people online are very contentious towards Christians. And many times as Christians, we're very contentious with people online as well. And so it's just an age where everybody is really heightened and passionate. And so that makes it hard. And then I also think we live in an age where there's just a lot of idiots. Right? And sometimes that's us, and sometimes it's other people. My dad used to always tell me growing up, he said, you can't win an argument with an idiot. And I found that to be very true. An idiot is when you clearly lay out the facts, and they say, nope, I just, I don't believe it, I don't accept it, I reject it. And so an idiot is someone who, when you clearly, logically make a presentation of what's true, and they say, nope, that's wrong, I just insist that it's wrong. Uh, it's kind of like when you go into a place and it's freezing cold and it's, you look at the thermometer and it's cold, but you have that one person who's like, no, it's hot. It's hot. It's not cold. That's usually me because I'm usually really warm no matter where I go. Um, that's an idiot like me. So you say, Alex, okay, it's risky. It's a step of faith to talk to other people about Jesus. 
I mean, it could hurt my relationship with my neighbor or my coworker. There could be consequences if I talk to people about Jesus. So why even do it? Why even take that risk or take that step of faith? Well, I think there's just a couple reasons. We could list a lot more than this, but to just kind of give you the top reasons why I think we should talk to other people about Jesus and who he is and what he did. I think the first one is Jesus said to do it. He actually commanded it. The last thing he said before he left the earth, he's ascending to heaven, and he's like, this is my final command to you. He's like, go everywhere and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I taught you. And so Jesus' last command was essentially go everywhere, teach people to be a student of the way that I lived and loved. Talk to people about me. And so that's a good reason to do it right there. I think another reason that we should do it is because it's the only way to God. Jesus is the only way to God. It's the only way to have a relationship with God, to have an eternity secure with God, and enjoy that relationship now. And we have a responsibility, right, to share with people the only way to God. And finally, I think it is the best life you can live. I think like living and loving like Jesus is the best life that any human could ever have or live. Because I think Jesus lived the best life anyone could ever have or live. And so we have what people are looking for. Now, they may not realize it, right? People don't uh, think, wow, man, I have this spiritual emptiness. Bet Jesus will fill it. Most of the time, they're thinking maybe a new relationship will fill it, or maybe a new prescription will fill it, or maybe binge-watching a new show on Netflix will fill it. But most of the time, they don't assume that it's Jesus. But there are lots and lots of people in this community, in this state, in this city, who have a spiritual yearning. They, they want something, and we actually know what they need, what their soul is craving, and that's Jesus. So I think these are three of the top reasons why we should take the risk and share Jesus. But I think that our tendency many times is, you know what? I'm scared that I might offend someone. I'm scared that this might hurt a relationship, so I just won't say anything. And I'll just kind of avoid talking about Jesus. And sometimes I think in our fear of offending people, we've actually obscured truth. And people, deep down, are hungry for truth. They're hungry for something that's real and will change their life and actually spiritually fill this hole and need in their life. And our country has become, really our country and our world, has become obsessed with what I call relativism. And relativism is where there is no absolute truth. Everything is kind of true from a certain point of view. Or in other words, nothing is true, so we can just say everything is true. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not a real logical point of view. But it's nice because we can say, well, they believe what they want. I believe what I want. We're all happy and we're good. And we won't, like, ever say anything uh, about the other one not making sense or have any questions. We'll just be like, you do you, I'll do me, and everybody will be happy. The only problem with this when this comes to religion is... That doesn't make sense in any sphere of life ever. Think about this with me. Let's say you have cancer and you go to the doctor and the doctor says, what kind of medicines do you have in your medicine cabinet? You say, hey, I have some uh, dewormer for my dog. I have some, you know, like uh, acne cream left over from my teenage years. You know, I have some medicine for the flu. He's like, just take any medicine. Any of it will work. You'd be like, "Uh, I'd like medicine specifically for cancer, please. You know, I'm not going to take the dog's dewormer. If you said, um, you know, the, a couple weeks ago I was walking around the streets in Bryn Mawr and someone asked me which direction is Philly. I'm like, oh, it's real easy. You know, you just head east into the city, west away from the city, and I pointed them in the right direction. What if I had said to him, go any direction. Philly lies in all directions. 
That would make no sense. They'd be like, you're no help to me. And you know, that's exactly what we do when it comes to the relativism in religion. We say, just go any direction. You'll end up in the right place. That sounds nice because it doesn't offend anyone, right? But that doesn't help people. That doesn't actually help them. And if we said take any medicine when you're sick, that doesn't actually help anyone. So that brings us to our story as we're going through the Old Testament looking at these ordinary people who took extraordinary steps of faith. It brings us to Elijah. And Elijah was a spokesman for God, the one true God. And he stood in Israel in a time when the king and the queen led the country to worship a different god. And so he stands up and he says, hey, gather everybody together because I want to settle this once and for all. Let's have a big debate between all the prophets, between all the spokesmen for this false religion, and between me. And let's settle this for the people once and for all. And so he stood up and explained, hey, I want to tell you about the one true God. And so we're going to look at his story here, and then we're just going to pull out some application for us as we stand up in our lives and talk about the one true God. So in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 20, it says this. So Ahab, Ahab's the king who's led the country to worship another god. He summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. And then Elijah approached all the people and he said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. And then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bowls be given to us. They are to choose one bowl for themselves, cut it in pieces, and place it on the wood, but don't light the fire. I will prepare the other bowl and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you will call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers with fire. He is God. And all the people said, that's fine by us. And then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Since you are so numerous, choose for yourself one bowl and prepare it first. And then call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bowl that he gave them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, please answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they danced around the altar that they made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, Shout louder. Surely he's a god. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he wandered away, or maybe he's on the road traveling. Perhaps he's sleeping and you need to wake him up. So they shouted louder and louder and they began to cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. I love how Elijah is like trash talking them, you know? I just, I don't know. Sometimes I look at these biblical characters and we think of them as so austere, you know? And Elijah's over there like, maybe your God's asleep, you know? He's just trash talking. Um, so verse 29, all afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice but there was no sound, no one answered, no one paid attention. And then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near, and he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel will be your name. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of the Lord. And then he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about four gallons. And next he arranged the wood and cut up the bowl and placed it on the wood. And he said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned on the wood. And then he said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. Then he said, do it a third time. They did it a third time. And so the water ran all over the altar, even into the trench with water. And at the time for offering of the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
Today let it be known that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, the Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you. And then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell face down, and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So the first thing I want to look at here in this story is that people always worship something. So here the Israelites had stopped worshiping the one true God. In here you see that Elijah repeatedly says the Lord God. In uh, Hebrew that was Yahweh was the name of God. And so most of the time it's been translated as Lord God in our English version. And so you'll see that they hadn't just stopped worshiping, stopped worshiping Yahweh and then started worshiping nothing. They, what they did was they started worshiping another god in place of God. And this is the same thing we have in our world today. Even the people who say there is no god usually find something else to worship. You know, fish are made to swim. That's what they're going to do. They're going to swim. Birds are made to fly. And with the rare exception of certain birds that don't fly, if you see a bird, it's going to fly. That's just what they do. They were made for that. Humans were made to worship. And if they choose not to worship the Lord God, if they choose not to worship Jesus, they'll find something else to worship. You can just look at our sport, sporting games, right? If you go to a Phillies game or an Eagles game, people are wearing all the same jerseys. You know, we're all shouting and chanting at the same times. If you really look at it objectively, this is like a giant worship service. You know, there's a different stage, you know, and different events and things follow along a certain pattern. It's really like a liturgy and you follow along and we're designed to worship. No matter what humans do, they bring worship into it. Um, I was listening to an atheist who was talking about he hates just any idea of God. Like he just hates the whole idea about it. He hates God and any thought of there being a God. But as he began to talk about science, he talked about it with this reverent, hushed tone. And he's like, science is the source of all truth. Science is what brings meaning and purpose into my life. And he began to describe how he sets aside parts of his income to give to acts of science and to scientific endeavors. And I thought, all you've simply done is replace Yahweh. You've replaced Jesus with science. Now you worship science. You condemn worship as being so primitive so medieval, and but all you've done is now you worship something else. Human nature is we're always worshiping something. And the people in your life who are surrounding you, who are in uh, your workplaces and in your homes, in your families, in your neighborhoods, they're worshiping something. And if it's something that isn't God, if it's someone who isn't God, it's never going to satisfy. It's ultimately going to fail them, disappoint them, and not fulfill the deepest longings of their heart. So look for this. Many times you'll see people who reject the idea of God, but then you can still pick up this thread of worship in their life. You'll notice next that he talks about that the prophets of Baal are numerous, but there's only one of him. And he mentions this several times, that he's all alone, that he's the only one, that he's by himself. And in a few chapters, he actually pretty much just has a breakdown because he feels like he's the last guy doing what God wants in the whole nation. And God reassures him and says, no, I have thousands more people who believe like you and continue to work for me in my name. 
But I think sometimes, many times, when it comes to this idea of sharing our faith with somebody, we think, man, I've got to do this on my own. And that's a scary thought, you know, when we think about approaching someone and talking to them on our own. Don't share by yourself. I remember when I was in college and I was going to this church and I was like uh, starting to get real passionate about uh, being a follower of Jesus. I'd worked through some, some issues where I was like doubts and concerns and I had come to a place where I'm like, I believe this and I want to live it out. And so I said, I want to tell people about Jesus. They just said, oh, good. So they drove me over to this neighborhood where there were a couple hundred homes. They dropped me off with a clipboard and they're like, knock on every door and tell them about Jesus. And then they drove off and they're like, sped out of there. And I should have realized, like, they didn't stay with me. They just left me here by myself, you know? And so I went around and started knocking on people's doors. You want to talk about getting uh, real depressed about talking to people about Jesus real fast? Just start knocking on doors, right? But we don't have to share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people by ourselves. God didn't intend for us to do it that way. Take somebody with you. Go with somebody. Have somebody join you and get coffee with someone or sit down with them. You never have to do it by yourself, right? That's the beauty of the church, that you don't make disciples by yourself. We all come together to make disciples together. Uh, sometimes I'll hear in churches where somebody will stand up and they're like, I talked to 30 people about Jesus today. And many times those people who are like the lone guns who always want to brag about how many people they talk to Jesus about, many times those are people who are more interested in impressing other Christians than they are in actually reaching people. You know, many times they're people who just want to brag on how many people they've talked to instead of actually seeing people's lives change. And people recognize when we are treating them like projects. If you just walk up to somebody on the street and you're like, quickly, let me get this spiel out to you because I've got to keep up my quota of talking to so many people, people recognize that and they don't respond to that. I believe that the gospel moves at the speed of trust. As you build relationships with people, they begin to trust you. As people begin to trust you, they genuinely want to know what you believe and why you live the way that you do. You make them curious by the way that you live and love. And it'll naturally create opportunities to talk about Jesus. So a few weeks ago, we had a mission team up here helping us. And we were working out on the sidewalks. And this guy came by. And I said, hey, how's it going? And he said, okay. He goes, take this. And he handed me a gospel of John. And I said, oh, thank you so much. I said, I'm a follower of Jesus. I was like, are you out here trying to get into conversation? And he goes, just kept pushing this gospel of John at me. And I was like, so do you go to church somewhere? He's like, yeah. And he's just like, keep shoving this gospel of John. And so I'm like, okay, I'll take it. So I took it and I held it. And so I was like, so tell me about, are you a believer in Jesus? You know? And he's like, do, do others want gospels of John? And I was like, no, I want to have a conversation with you. And uh, so I started talking to him, chatted with him a little bit. And uh, so he goes, uh, can I give everybody a gospel of John? I go, well, we actually all have Bibles. I said, these would probably be better served giving them to somebody else. We're all believers here, you know, and share with them. And he's like, yeah, but I need to say that I handed out so many. And so he walked around and everybody on our team he gave a gospel of John to. And I collected them all up at the end of the day because they're like, what are we going to do with this? We have our Bibles with us. You know, and I said, I'll save them and I'll give them to somebody. Um, but I think sometimes... We think, like, I've got to go out by myself. I've got to psych myself up. I've memorized a little spiel, or I've got a little something to hand out. I mean, Darby and I were in Bryn Mawr one day, one evening, and this lady ran up to her, and she goes, you know Jesus is coming back? And I was like, yes, I do know that. 
and she was like, take this. And she's trying to give me like a little printed out flyer. And so I take it and I'm like, I want to engage with her. And she runs up to the next person. You know, Jesus is coming back. And I'm like, I love your fervor and your passion. But you have no trust built with those people that you run up to on the street. And so you watch the people, you know, just throw it in the trash, throw it down afterwards. I think many times we have much better results if we strategically build relationships with people. We truly invest in them and love them. And it creates opportunities, not awkward, difficult, weird conversations, but natural opportunities to talk to people about Jesus. You'll see here that uh, as these worshipers of Baal kept ranting and raving, it says twice that no one heard them, no one answered, no one paid attention. You know, if people worship any other god besides Jesus, it's a god that's going to eventually crumble and fail and disappoint. Whether they're worshiping science, try to worship science and have a relationship problem and see how science helps you out. It doesn't matter how scientifically brilliant you are. If you're struggling in your marriage, you can beg science to help you all you want. It's not going to help. You know, if you're worshiping finances, just wait until the market crashes and all of a sudden that God doesn't seem so secure anymore. And so the fact that the people around us are worshiping these gods who are ultimately going to disappoint them should motivate us to share with them a God who is always trustworthy, a God who is with us and for us. You know, uh, it says not only did was there no sound, there was no response. It says no one answered. And I think how often people have spiritual questions and there's no one they can ask. You know, people are more likely to ask Google a spiritual question now than they are to ask someone in a church or to ask a pastor or a priest. But if we build a relationship with people, then we can be in a place when they have spiritual questions, we can provide those answers. You know, I think a lot of times people are asking God, if you're real, show me. If you're real, tell me about yourself. But many times they have no answer because we don't take the opportunities to actually share with people about Jesus. Many times Jesus wants to speak through us into people's lives. And so as we build relationships with people far away from God, it strategically positions us to talk to people about Jesus when they have spiritual questions. Um, I work on this really simple process, and I heard this from somebody else, but I've just incorporated it into my life. And what he always said was be intentionally relational, but explicitly Christian. And so I focus on building relationships with people far away from God, whether I meet them at the comic book shop, or I meet them at a coffee shop, or I meet them in the community, or just sitting out on my front porch and I get into a conversation, and I say, how can I build relationships with people far away from God? And then I just talk about Jesus because that's what I do all the time. I'm always talking about Jesus. There's always something that I've read that morning, or something that he's doing in my life, or you know, they'll wanna hang out and say, hey, actually we have church tonight, and I just, I don't make it weird, I just let them know this is an important part of my life, so I'm going to continue to talk about it. And what I found is there's lots and lots of people who enjoy being in relationship with me, not because I'm a great guy, but because I invest a little bit of time into getting to know them. I genuinely care about them. And what happens is as we hang out and we're playing a board game or we're getting coffee or we're playing a video game or we're throwing a frisbee in a park, they naturally begin to talk to me about their life. And they say, hey, I'm having this problem with my girlfriend, I'm having this problem with my parents, you know, I've got this situation. And it creates natural opportunities to talk about Jesus. I love Elijah's prayer here uh, as he 
comes to the moment right before the fire falls. It says in verse 36, this is the prayer that I prayed when I moved up here, and I prayed it every day for a while, and now I pray it a little bit more periodically, but it's still a great prayer. And all I did was change that, uh, you know, rather than saying, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, I said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Philadelphia. Today, let it be known that you are God in Philadelphia, that I am your servant, and at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, the Lord, are God, that you have turned their hearts back to you. What I found is as I pray for opportunities to talk to people about Jesus, as I pray for opportunities to have a relationship with people far away from God, God gives me those opportunities. He creates opportunities for me to talk to people about who he is and what he's done. And I think as we are passionate about praying for opportunities, God gives us opportunities. And if God gives you an opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus, that means that he's already done work inside their heart for them to hear about Jesus. He's always doing the heavy lifting. Sometimes we feel like there's all this pressure on us, like, i got to say the right thing, I've got to really work out. God is so gracious and kind. He's always at work above and beyond what we're doing. He lets us join in on what he's doing by sharing what's happened in our lives with other people. But he's always at work inside people's hearts and minds and lives. And so if we have an opportunity, we don't have to freak out and think, oh man, what if I say the wrong thing and I mess it up? God's working inside their heart and mind at the same time. And finally, just real practically, I think sometimes we don't tell people about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the story of Jesus Christ, because we're just not sure what to say. Like, what do we include? What do we not include? So I wanted to just real briefly talk about what do you share when you're talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus? What should you say? What are some just real simple things to share? First, I usually talk about brokenness, because brokenness is usually an easy end to talk to somebody about Jesus. You know why? Because people are constantly talking about something that's broken in our world. Whether they're talking about something that's broken in politics, something that's broken in relationships, something that's broken in the community or in the workplace, people are always complaining about something that's not right in the world. And I usually use that as an opportunity to begin to talk about Jesus, and I usually um, start that approach by sharing why I think there's brokenness in the world, and that's because of sin. Now, sometimes when you say sin, immediately that word is such a churchy word. And so usually what I say is, we all have a self-destructive tendency to do what's right for us rather than what's right for others. And I said, that always leads to a brokenness in our world or in relationships. That's pretty much how the Bible describes sin. We've decided to do things our way rather than the way that God prescribed. And then I begin to share that I think there's only one hope for the world's brokenness, for the world's self-destructive tendency, and that's Jesus. Because I believe Jesus was the only person who ever lived a truly selfless life. He lived for other people rather than himself. And I say, you know, not everybody believes it, but I think that the way that Jesus lives proves that he was God. And I think he came into this world and he died, not because he deserved to die, but he died in our place to heal our brokenness and to invite other people to live a selfless life like he did. And usually at this point, people are, you know, they either have more questions about that or they say something like, I've never heard it put that way. Or, you know, uh, sometimes there's follow-up questions. And then if they let me continue, I talk about how God's perfect design, how God didn't intend for the world to be this way. 
and how God is calling us to be a part of his mission of reconciliation, setting things right, and how we have an opportunity to come alongside him and introduce more people to Jesus and help pull them out of self-centeredness that leads to more brokenness and leads them to be selfless and sacrifice for other people. One of the best ways you can talk about Jesus with other people is just sharing what you've experienced in your life with Jesus. There's people who will debate facts and ideas and theology all day, but people respect your experience and what you have uh, lived through and what you've seen Jesus do. So as we come to the end, what do we do with this? What can we take away? First of all, I think we need to pray for opportunities this week. It's easy to say, I'll pray for an opportunity someday, but pray for an opportunity this week to talk to someone far away from God about Jesus. And second of all, I think we need to build relational trust with people far away from God. It's easy to hang out with people who look like us, talk like us, and believe like us. But we need to reach out to people who don't talk like us and act like us and have very different beliefs than us so that we can build trust with them so we can create curiosity about the selfless way we live when we live and love like Jesus, which creates opportunities for us to talk about the life-changing power of Jesus as people repent and believe. And finally, I think you need to invite people to join you. So you pray for opportunities, pray with your spouse, pray with a friend, pray with somebody else in the church and say, hey, do you think that there could be opportunities for us together? Like, maybe we're going to pray about building trust together with this one person. Like, maybe we have a mutual acquaintance, or maybe we know somebody uh, together. Let's talk about how we can both hang out together so it doesn't feel scary like I'm doing it on my own. Invite people to join you in what you're doing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for Elijah, who stood up to a nation and said, this is the true God. What you're worshiping, what you're following, isn't God at all. You might be called Baal, the chief God, but he's not chief God. The Lord God, Yahweh, Jesus, is the chief God. And God, we're still in a culture and a world today where we're a lot more intelligent, but we're still worshiping things and people that aren't you. And God, give us opportunities to talk about people, to talk to people about who you are, what you're like, and how you want to radically transform their life. God, give us courage, help us to build trust so that it's not awkward or strange, and give us natural opportunities to share with people about how much you love them. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.